Welcome back, everybody, to another podcast. It is me with the beanie and Sean once again, a little sweaty post run. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, per usual. Hope everybody's doing well in their New Year's resolutions. We're probably like what week two in. So if you haven't yeah, started getting yeah. after it, start chipping away. Um, today's episode, Sean will be kind of taking, I guess, I guess the driver's seat to an extent, Sean. You want to dive into something you wanted to share with the listeners? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, this this episode is going to be a little bit heavier than our typical banter. Um, but I th- it's something I've wanted to do for a while, and not necessarily since we started the podcast, but I think when we released our very first few episodes where it was kind of like our personal bios, Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of left this part of my story out maybe because I wasn't ready to talk about it or I just didn't really feel like sharing it with strangers. Um, not that you guys are strangers. Now we're family. So that's a, that's the beauty of being a year in. Um, and also I think like the older I get, um, the more I see the value in talking openly about stuff that's like really emotionally heavy and really just um yeah I don't know Adam do you ever feel like you know that feeling when you're like I don't want to talk about this which means I probably need to go talk to someone I trust about Absolutely. it Absolutely. yeah I mean it's it's what it's kind of it? like that deep like you're like ah I, I feel resistance and then you're like that means I should address that yeah totally I like it's not it's not going to compare it obviously to what you had but like I had a feeling of I should do this. I don't really want to do this though thing uh, with like a family situation. When I went out to Chicago, I was talking to you about that, but I oh, was yeah, like, I, I knew they needed help. And I was like, wow, that would be inconvenient for me to like, I reach out and be like, Hey, do you guys need me to fly out and like help for a week? And I was like, if I'm thinking I shouldn't do it, but I really feel like I should do it. I should do it. So yeah, I just did it. And then afterwards you're always like, well, that intuition or, calling from someone else was definitely the right thing to do in that situation. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think there've been a lot of times in the last few years where, especially when I see someone else struggling with something hard, I have this like feeling inside that's kind of like deep gut feeling like you should, you should go talk to them. You should tell them your story, you know, connect with them. And a lot of times more often than not, I, I have resisted that and not, not listened but Hmm. i do think the more often we kind of listen to those callings like the easier it becomes to say yes to them so without you know further introduction that's kind of like why adam and i wanted to to really dig into this part of my life and my experience um and a lot of you guys if you follow me on social media or if you know me personally are probably aware of this, but um, when I was a sophomore in college, so a year after Adam and I lived together, I was, I found out like over Thanksgiving break that my dad had been diagnosed with a really, really severe form of um, cancer in his stomach, um, pancreatic cancer. Pancreas is like a tiny organ. It's not tiny, but it's a pretty small organ that just helps your body regulate and digest food and like process toxins. And if you have pancreatic cancer, usually you don't, unless you catch it like crazy early, 
it's pretty hard to um, survive with it. There's a, there's a surgery, forget the name of it, but it's pretty horrendous. And they basically have to open your stomach up like all the way, rearrange a bunch of organs, cut it out. But it's just really hard to live without. So, you know, my freshman year of college, it, towards the spring, I remember my dad being like, ah, he's kind of having some back pain and stuff like early in the year. And, um, and, and uh, I remember that summer he was losing a lot of weight pretty quickly, which like, you know, for most people, you've been overweight in your life and you lose weight. You're like, this is great. This is awesome. And he was like, my back kind of hurts, but I'm losing weight, which is good. And so that's, I don't know, maybe just like he's something, maybe he thought like something in his diet was different and like it was starting to help his metabolism. But I remember in the fall, I remember him like seeing a doctor a couple of times, like in September and August and just being like, I'm having trouble sleeping. He's having back pain and was just having a really hard time, like maintaining weight. Like he went from, you know, always kind of fighting to like stay healthy and stay, you know, lean and like maintain the healthy body fat ratio to like all of a sudden he like can't keep weight on. And um, I remember, I think it was right before Thanksgiving break. I was on the phone with my mom and my sister and my dad for my dad's birthday. And they were talking about going to get like uh, an MRI, I guess. Um, or maybe like a CAT scan. Yeah, a CAT scan or an MRI. And, and whatever it was, that what they did, they did like a single contrast CAT scan or MRI. And they didn't pick anything up like on that first scan. And so I remember my parents being like concerned. My dad was concerned. My mom was concerned. But it wasn't like crazy. And then over Thanksgiving, or right before I came home for Thanksgiving, um, they did another scan where they did a double contrast and they found this like pretty, pretty sizable tumor. Um, and so it's like the first thought is like, well, it's probably benign. Like hopefully it's benign. You're just kind of hoping and praying and you're like, you know, like whenever you get a diagnosis like that or news like that, medical news, your first thought is not like, oh, this is going to be worst case scenario. At least, I don't know. Like Adam, you know me, I'm like super optimistic generally. Mm-hmm. That's what we really And just like, I want. yeah, we just believe things are going to work out. And like, it's usually not the worst case whenever you find something out, right? But um, it turned out after getting a sample of the, the tumor, like it was pretty much worst, worst, worst case scenario. Um, and I remember... I was sitting in the in the library at school and it was like the day that we'd gotten back from Thanksgiving and like had we had like whatever like 10 days between like it was always you know that break is like super weird because you have like Thanksgiving then you have like a week and a half and then you have finals and then you go home for Christmas Mm -hmm. yeah and so it was kind of like that period they get back to Liberty and um yeah, they had gotten the results of the biopsy back and they were like, yeah, it's like pretty, pretty rough. Like it's, it's going to be, it's most likely going to be terminal um, outside of like a miracle. And I just, dude, I just like sobbed on the, on the steps outside the library by the pond. Um, I didn't know what to do. I went actually, I went inside and I talked to Josh Talamoa, 
Mm. Our first RA, he was sitting there. We were doing some homework, and I told him about it. And I just didn't know. I, like, literally didn't know what to do. I was kind of paralyzed. But then I started reaching out to, like, a ton of people that I knew and just being like, hey, pray for my dad. Like, he's feeling he's – he's got this diagnosis, and, like, things are not looking good, but they're going to do chemo. And, like, you know, my dad was, like, super – just resilient and strong throughout the process. I think my mom was pretty freaked out and like, of course she should be. And like, I was freaked out. My sister was really freaked out. We were all like, still like, you know, we're, we're all like Christians and like believing like, okay, you know, like God's has a plan for our family has a plan for my dad. He's going to take care of us no matter what happens. And so there's that first kind of like initial hope in like, this is going to work out. And dude, I remember just being like, it's, it's like, if I just can get enough people to like pray, then there's going to be like some kind of miracle is going to happen. Right. Like, and like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have more time with my dad. And I was like barely 20 years old when I'm like dealing with all of this. And I was an RA and I was, you know, trying to take finals and. And you had a very hard haul to be an RA on. Yeah, yeah, I had a really rough haul. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of great guys. There's just a lot of, a lot of time invested into like you know doing my job. It was mm-hmm. a very time-consuming job. Just like you're always on. You're never like not at work, and it's super relational, right? Like always, kind of like having social time with people, and kind of you know keeping an appearance of like what you expect people want from you at least for me like I was kind of young and immature in that sense and my leadership was like kind of derived from like what I thought people expected of me Mm. which isn't always bad but well it's like you're you're kind of almost always molding to emotionally fit what you believe the situation needs yeah it's kind of like chameleon and then at the end of the day it's like imagine going through something you're going you were going through which is about as emotional as it can get and then having to already like change and morph to other people's situation while covering up the situation you have. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really weird time. It was hard. Like, I think unfortunately, like the way that the timing in my life, the way that it happens, like it kind of set me up to just deny. And I know like there's, there's a lot of psychology and there's a lot of things that have been written about like, how people deal with grief and trauma and like loss. And like, for me, unfortunately it kind of set me up It for like, it was a perfect setup for me to just deny like the fact that it was happening. Cause I almost had to, to like function for those two weeks. And like my, one of my biggest regrets, like I, I'm a firm believer that like, it's okay to have regrets. It's not okay to like dwell in the past. Like it's okay to be honest. And like, for me to say, I a hundred percent regret going back to school for those two weeks. Like there's, mm-hmm. there was no reason that I couldn't have been covered for and like reached out to my professors and taken my exams online. There's like anyone in that situation, they, they would have taken care of me if that was what I had tried to do, opted to do. So I do, I really regret not staying home. But at the same time, in hindsight, like I couldn't have known how quickly things were going to progress from that phone call the 100%. day after Thanksgiving break ended. 
So, I mean, I do. I totally regret that. And, um, but as you said, you know, like, it's something that you just don't know in the situation. Yeah, it's hard to know. It's really hard to know. It's really hard to know. So, my encouragement to anyone who's dealing with the situation or when these kinds of situations come up, like, don't, don't let anything that you think is more important than spending time with your loved ones stop you from doing that because there is nothing more important. Like those freaking, whatever I like went back to school for, it was meaningless compared to like conversations with my dad in that time. So it's, it's definitely a lesson that I kind of like, I think about that in my life now, like when I'm like, like when I'm having a hard time with someone that I really care about, I'm like, I don't, not that I'm super morbid, but I don't think like, I don't think like, Oh, you know, at any point, anyone in my life that I care about could die. But whenever I'm like struggling with the relationship, I always think to myself, like, do I want this to be the last kind of conversation that I have with them? No. And that motivates me to like do whatever I can do to really reconcile are we are we there yeah you're good did you get that notification i just got a what phone call it? i just zoe was calling me oh um let me just text her yeah, sorry good. we can get it hey you're good All right, resume. Yeah, I just, I, like, I, because of how, like, fast things happen with my dad, whenever I have, like, a challenging moment in a relationship, my motivation to, like, reconcile is really high. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't really want to leave any, anything up in the air that, like, could potentially be something I don't get to to have you know closure on mm -hmm. but i mean obviously you don't want to live life thinking like oh, this could always like i that's kind of a bad way to live is like always thinking about like the worst thing that could happen but also it's like you kind of never know mm -hmm. how much time you have with somebody no matter what no matter who they are or how strong you think they are how like healthy you think they are we just are not we're not really in control of like what goes on that's <laughs> so true but and the older you get, dude, you freaking lose people, you know? Like, it was pretty – like, I'm one of a few people I know to lose a parent in college. And even I know a handful of people that have lost a parent in college. And that's pretty uncommon, maybe. But, like, even now, it's, like, friends in car accidents. And, like, it's pretty hard for me to think that any of our list, like most of our listeners don't know someone who's committed suicide. Mm -hmm. um, which like, which is crazy, but it, it just happens. Like people, people pass away, accidents happen. And it's a part of life. I think it's a part of life that Americans are pretty averse to like wrestling with because we are kind of protected from the reality of it most of the time. I would agree with that. And I also just think it's one of those things that you don't think will happen to you until it happens to you. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, this will, this will never happen. I remember, I, was, I remember like before we even got the confirmed diagnosis, 
I was home and I was taking a shower and I just remember crying in the shower and being like, this is a dream. Like, this isn't happening. This is just a bad dream. Like, I'm going to wake up. Maybe I'll still be at school and I'll like get in my car and drive home for Thanksgiving break mm. and none of this will be happening. But it was it was totally happening and it was really hard to wrestle with That's crazy. the reality of it. Yeah, when I it only really got worse, which is <laughs> kind of sucks to say, but like I remember taking my last few exams and doing my like white glove wrap up, like walk through the whole dorm before I left. And the day that I got home was a couple of days after my dad's first few rounds of chemo. And so he had like the port put into his shoulder and um, yeah, he, when I got home, he was pretty out of it. Like he was not, not himself. Um, and I think I didn't want to admit this, but I think I knew the moment that I got home that I had had my last conversation with him. That was like a meaningful two-sided conversation. Mm. Um, which was like, it's crazy to think that like, it's not actually like since the day that he passed that I have had really been able to like cherish like memories and like conversations with my dad. It's actually been like four Thanksgivings now since that Thanksgiving that we like sat on the couch and I actually had a, a pretty rough breakup that week. <laughs> it was kind of all happening at once really. And I had a breakup um, during Thanksgiving. And I think, honestly, that was another intuition that I was like, whatever is about to happen in my family, I don't think I can, unfortunately, like, expose my girlfriend to this at the mm. time. Um, like, I I just kind of had this gut feeling that, like, I needed to walk through this, like, unattached in that sense. And I, I remember I had the conversation with her. It was pretty brutal. Got home. I was crying. And my dad was sitting on the couch drinking whiskey because his stomach hurt. <laughs> and we just, he just talked me through like how it went and, you know, just was like telling me that he was proud of me and that mm. like he knew that her and I weren't going to get married. Turns out he was right. <laughs> and <laughs> a dad's I was like, why the heck didn't you, why didn't you tell me that while we were dating? He's like, you're a man. Like you got to learn that for yourself. I'm not going to tell you what to That's do. That's awesome. And so that's pretty special, like that that moment. Uh, I think about that a lot because it really was the last conversation that we had, or it was like just him, just me, man to man. And it's been more than probably more than every day since then that I wish that I could have that back. Mm. Um, but to continue with the timeline, I got back from my finals and I just kind of knew like, Oh, my dad's out of it. He's not doing good. My mom was really freaked out. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to take a nap. I just was just exhausted, like emotionally strained. I just need to like decompress for a second. I remember my mom waking me up like an hour or two after I'd like taken a nap and being like, I think we need to take your dad to the hospital. And I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. So we get him in the car. We drive to the hospital. Thank God it was like three minutes from our house to the hospital. Mm. Um, the Anne Arundel Community, Anne Arundel Medical Center. Um, and like also thank God we had some really good friends who were pretty high up in the system there. 
who are able to just like help smooth everything out. Um, spent the night in the ER the same day. Like I had driven from Lynchburg and like that whole day just bled into the next day of just like staying up all night in the ER. Not really sure what's going on, but it's like, okay, he's probably having a reaction to either like chemo or maybe the cancer is advancing in like a way that's kind of like progressed like quickly. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I actually didn't think we'd leave the hospital when, when we got there. I was like, I think I, I was like, this is it. Like this, this is probably it. So, you know, try to sleep on the floor or whatever. Um, call my sister. Like you need to get on a train because she was living in New York city at the time. Like you need to get down here like as soon as you can. She's like, all right. I don't even remember if she was work. I, I don't know what she was doing for work at the time, but I guess she was just like, sorry, can't like, I have to go. Um, and she came. And so it was really good that we were together and dude, it was crazy that first weekend in the hospital. So many people came through like Hoagie Leonard, Angelo came yeah. through, um, which was, he literally drove from like Philly, just like got in his car. Wow. Drove down, um, tons of family and like some close friends. And like, honestly, I don't know if that was the be- for the best because like the, the social stimulus, like kind of drained the energy that my dad had, but we finally figured out he's kind of having some strokes, like some blood clots related to the chemo. And so they were able to thin out his blood enough for him to stop having like to get just like whatever blood circulation he needed back into rhythm. And so he came back like two and he was a lot more present. Like he was more like there after that than he was when I first gotten home and hmm. seen him. Interesting. So like so, he cognitively was better after that visit. Yeah. Yeah. He was better after getting some blood thinners and I actually like did, I was able to talk to him and he was able to talk to us and, you know, I, I honestly don't remember how many days it was that we were there, but I do remember basically our good friend was the head of surgery and he came through and was talking through basically like whatever the results that they had from all the tests were over the last like 48 hours. And he was like, Tim, we can do, we can do surgery do more chemo but i don't think you need i don't think you should do that i think you should spend time with your family and i think you should go home if you want to and that's what my dad was saying before he even heard that he was like i just want to go home i just don't want to die in this hospital and um yeah it was it was a it was a pretty shocking moment it didn't really sink in for like a while like this is what we're doing we're just kind of like we're doing hospice like what is hospice it's like mm. that sounds like giving up you know and it was it was a really really intense like hard time for our family because hospice care kind of usually entails like there's like outpatient and then there's like in home and so outpatient you're kind of still at like a hospital facility but you're just like receiving end of life care and when it's in home there's it's just more intense like I was actually, you remember John Cavallaro, my old youth group leader? Mm-hmm. Um, you met him a few times. He he came with me. We went back to the the place, the condo where my mom and dad were living at the time. And like, we got it all ready for them to wheel in like the hospital bed and all that stuff. And that was a super meaningful time for me and John. But 
Yeah, it was pretty surreal, like going through all that. And then the next like three weeks over Christmas and New Year's was like undoubtedly like the worst and hardest three weeks of my life. Like every day I was just trying to like get enough air to breathe, like get through the day. And I think my sister, my mom and I all had very different reactions to what was going on. Not like different entirely, but just kind of like the way we were handling it was different and so that caused some conflict and tension and it's just like such a hard thing to deal with uh definitely put a strain on all of us like pretty obvious <laughs> but there's like there's not one way to grieve it's like that's the thing is that everybody does it differently so that makes sense and um, yeah yeah we we're all bringing different thoughts and feelings into what was happening different capacities to like handle what was happening and yeah, I think I was really not proud of how I handled myself during that time. I think I had this idea that like this super hard thing is happening to me and therefore like I should be, it should be bringing the best out of me. I should be like more virtuous because I'm going through the struggle. Right. And in reality, it just brought like the worst out of me. <laughs> like It just made me feel so bad. <laughs> like my, yeah. Every time I like try to respond in a like strong or positive way, I feel like I just crumbled, you know? I, I think, I think my, when I first met Zoe, it was like when we were in Nashville, we were, we were talking about like this whole situation or you were talking about it with me and we we're having like a really good conversation leaving uh, Josiah's wedding. And I remember you finished mm -hmm. and you talked about something that. very similar where you were like, yeah, I'm just like, I was disappointed in how I handled it. And I knew she was, I already knew she was great for you, but like, I knew she was perfect when like immediately you were met with like support and grace and love in her mm -hmm. end, where she's like, you're breaking yourself down for a reason that like, I mean, it's unfathomable for a person to handle something, how they really think they'll handle yeah. it until the situation's there. Right. Yeah, so, totally. And she, she was like, that's what it is. And like, I mean, I agreed with her wholeheartedly, but she was like, she's so right. Like you handled it with grace. Even though in your mm. head, you're like, that wasn't perfect. It's like, how is that situation supposed to be perfectly handled? I don't think it can yeah. be. No, definitely not. And I mean, I don't, I don't even know if like perfect was my expectation, but just like better than it, better than I did handle it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And maybe that's just pride. That's like, oh, well, I should have been able to handle this better, which is like, bogus because like you can't practice for that and you're <laughs> you know you're like there is no old. yeah yeah i mean like on a on a positive note like i didn't become an alcoholic so that's good that's um true. i could have handled it worse for sure true. but i think it was hard for me because like you said people grieve differently i think my sister was very expressive and outwardly vocal about it and my mom was too and i just felt like i just couldn't open up like during during the time that he was sick and for months and years after that, it was like, I just, I couldn't really, it was, it was just in it. It is right now. It's still hard. It's hard right now, four years later for me to even like emotionally like unguard, like take my guard down. Like you locked, like, you really, locked the safe and through the key basically. Yeah. I was like, okay. Like, that was unexpected. That was the worst three weeks of my life. That was the saddest thing I could possibly imagine happening to my family at the time. And like, 
I'm just going to do my best to like move on Mm. pretty much. But that was met with a lot of resistance when like COVID happened. This is all like January of 2020. And the timing was kind of insane because, you know, I think we were spared from a lot, but like in the way that like the timing happened in another sense, it was like, it happened so fast. It just, it left my sister and mom and I, like all of us were just completely like, what just happened? Like, how did that just happen? And then I, like, for better or worse, decided, like, I'm just going to go back to school and try to, like, just keep on keeping on. One of the main things that my dad said, even after his strokes, to me personally, was, like, don't drop out of school. Like, finish school. Um, Your mom's going to be okay. Your sister's going to be okay. Like, I need you to, like, don't give up, you know. Don't let this sideline you, basically. He was still thinking about me in that Mm. moment, which is crazy. Um. And like the way he handled those three weeks is something that like is still pretty amazing. It's hard to think about, but it's pretty unreal. Like his demeanor, the way he treated people in the hospital, the way he treated us, even to like the very bitter end when things were really ugly. Um, Like, you know, it's a weird, weird freaking thing to be 20 years old. And in the course of, two months you've seen your dad go from like a normal healthy person to like looking like a prisoner of war and you're like giving him a shower and like holding his hand and walking him to a hospital bed like that that was not that felt like a, a bad dream mm-hmm. you know like it's like this is this is wrong everything about this is just feels unreal and but just the way that he carried himself and honestly like he he really held on for a very long time, even after things started to get really bad. Like I know his body was just shutting down, mm. but I think his mind was just this steel trap that was like, even though we all had given him verbal and like emotional permission to like, just be and just let like, just accept kind of what was happening. He, I think was still trying to be there for us, which is crazy. Like, even to the point where he couldn't even speak. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't. He was so freaking stubborn. That's the, that's the word. And that's, like, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, ever, everything after that, I mean, that's kind of, like, that's kind of, that's a hinge point in my life, you know? Like, that whole period of time and that event and like everything after that like my life has completely changed i'll never be the same person that i was before and honestly at first it kind of felt like like a scarlet letter on me you know like people that knew it was like ah oh, you know you feel bad for this kid like it's so sad and like you don't want pity at least i i don't want pity i didn't want people to see me differently i didn't want to be that kid i didn't want to be you know, a charity case. Um, and there's a lot of ways that I was humbled and people were super generous with me, just, you know, whether that was like financially or like just showing up, just like being a good friend. So I, I'm not saying I refuse that, that, you know, the love that people poured out because that was astonishing. Like that was, that was, there was a lot that happened. Um, even like, at his viewing and his funeral, like the amount of people that showed up. And, I remember that. You know, I, dude, 
I remember freaking all of the RAs on my team and Jordan Nickerson. I was standing outside just getting some air, like outside of the funeral home during the viewing. And I saw them coming across the parking, like they had parked kind of across the street. And I saw this group of them and that dude, I just broke me. I just started bawling. Cause I was like, you, you people got, <laughs> y'all got in this van, like, five hours ago and you drove here, you know, from Lynchburg just to be here for this. And you're going to turn around and leave afterwards. Like that was, that was crazy. So just the way that people showed up, I mean, that was super humbling and you just kind of have to take it, you know, like that's, that was one of the hardest things was just taking it. And then like later on, you you know, people kind of forget or the emotion kind of settles for other people, but it doesn't settle for you. Like you're still in the thick of it for, forever it feels like and that's that's when you kind of are like all right i just want to feel normal i just want to feel like myself i just want to you know have a day where i don't think about that or i don't feel like a shell and that's kind of what i felt like for that semester i was like i mean i laughed and i put on a smile and i tried to do my schoolwork and i tried to care but i just like deep down just didn't give a rip about any of it it was just like when COVID like hit the news, I was like, all right, like, I hope it's the end of the world. I was like, honestly, then I don't have to be the only one struggling because this is horrible. And I just want to go back to the way it was before. Like, that's just what I wanted. I just wanted to go backwards in time. So when COVID happened, I was like, sweet. (laughs) Everything's weird. It's kind of another distraction almost for me. But then I went back to Maryland and I spent the time with my sister and my mom there. And that's when I like had to deal with the reality of the absence of my dad in my face for the first time. And that was really hard. That was like, honestly, it was almost worse than like the time that he was sick because Mm. it was like this alternate reality had just become like, the actual reality and all of a sudden I had to like deal with that and and we couldn't go out to eat we couldn't like hang out with friends like we're all isolated from each other that's so like everything shut down it was such a weird time and dude I honestly just was like I I was there for two months and I was like I have to go back to Lynchburg I have to get some space and I felt super guilty because I was like I'm kind of abandoning my family at this time of need but I just I I physically couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Like I couldn't kick it. And I think they loved me enough to let me do that. And it was, I mean, maybe not the best thing for me, like to go back to school and then to kind of keep avoiding and denying, but like I had to do what I could do at the time, you know, it was just like just enough to be sort of okay well, you're saying avoid, but it's like you can never avoid it. I mean, you're constantly thinking about right. it, constantly feeling it. It's it's just like at the end of the day, the healing process involves time. So yeah. and even your dad said he's like, don't stop going to school. Don't stop doing this. And like school is more than just get the degree. It's maintain the community, keep living yeah. your life. And I needed to care that. about and love. And so. I, I do agree where you're like, you're like, yeah, I feel guilty for it. But at the same time, like once again, fatherly wisdom, he's like, you got to keep going, dude. It's like, yeah. this isn't the end. This is the beginning of something else, but onward yeah. and upward. 
Yeah, it was it was definitely good for me to be around people that loved me and supported me. Even if like my internal monologue had a lot of just like distraction and like avoidance. Um, I can definitely see how like, you know, I don't know if people listening believe in God. I don't really care if you do or not. But like for me, it was like, I kind of know that like God's only giving me as much of this pain as I can handle. And while like it's messy and ugly and I wish I had responded better or differently at the end of the day, I literally just did what I, I did. I did what I could to Mm -hmm. just like get through. And, and I do think it's important, like how we, you know, carry ourselves. But I also think there's some things in life that just freaking knock you on your ass and it's okay to go months and weeks and years not really knowing what your compass, where your compass is at, like what direction you're going. Like, I don't know. I think if I had tried to muscle it out, it just would have gotten worse. Well, <laughs> it would have gotten uglier. How are you supposed to process that much in a short period of time? It's like you almost yeah. need that, not the distraction, but you need the other things to like make it to where you can't fit the 100% capacity of the processing that needs to be done in one go. Like it's almost yeah. like you need the filter. Like as you said, like, God's only going to give you what you can take. And so it's like, he's just fitting in segments of it as time goes along with the rest of your life. That's Mm -hmm. still continuing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's too much for a person to swallow all at once, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think honestly, you never really like, I don't think anyone who's been through something similar would probably understand what I'm saying. Like you never, it never really makes sense. Like you never really are, it's never something, at least in my experience, I don't think I'll ever be like, yeah, like that was okay. Like that was the way it happened was okay. And when it happened was okay. Like, it's just not, it's not okay. It's not cool. It's not good. You know, like a lot of things that have come out of it have been good, but like, I know that any number of those things could have happened for other reasons. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I didn't have to lose my dad to grow up. Um, but I also didn't really have a choice after that. And like, would I have gotten into ultra running the way that I have? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. doesn't really matter because it is what it is. But I do think it's a, it's probably a pretty strong connection to, to like the, you know, initial desire that I had to run and just kind of what I was doing on those runs. And I honestly think it kind of saved my life. It kept me sane. That didn't get like you don't get much alone time in college, you know, depending on your disposition and where you live and what kind of school you go to. Like I was never alone <laughs> ever. Yeah. And like, dude, getting out on the trails, I I would just take out my anger and sadness and frustration. I would just like that's why I hammered every run for a year. Like so I was just like <laughs> I was just trying to feel something. You know what yeah. I mean? And I don't I'm not even saying that like facetiously. I mean like genuinely I just needed to feel like pain in my body physically so that I could release some of that emotional weight totally. and just pain, like let out just let it out. And I, I remember more than a few runs where I just like start getting kind of upset or riled up, like thinking about something and just like just like the tears streaming down my face. Like I'm going to run faster. Who we are like, I could find a hill and just like, I'm going to run up this hill as hard as I can. That's awesome though. And then just like collapse. And yeah, I mean, I think 
there's a much better way to deal with it than doing drugs or, you know, something more dangerous. Um, but I mean, you're confronting yeah, I that think, moment, like what you just said. Yeah. It's like, I feel this. So what am I going to do? I'm going to confront. I'm going to push hard. I'm going to go. I'm going to go versus covering up. So, yeah. And at the time, that was the most I could do to express it. Now I feel like talking about it is like another level of like, it's like an, it's like a more, it's a more intense, like I think for men, and I don't want to speak for women because I'm not a woman, but like for men, I've noticed like we're so physical in the way we deal with our feelings. And I think that was just like the best way that I could deal with my feelings. And now I'm maturing into the ability to talk about it which is part of why I wanted to, to share the story here. And I also think like while dealing with things physically can get you through, it's not like, it's not a good permanent solution. Like you have to graduate to talking about it, letting people in because you can drive yourself crazy doing that. Like just the strictly physical expression of emotion. Like you got to learn how to, let it out in other ways and honestly there's like there's so many ways like for me journaling is huge because then it's like i can talk about it but i don't necessarily have to put on the strain of like sharing with a live person and i think there's a lot more healing that happens when you share in person with people because you see them they see you and they love you and they don't reject you for the pain that you're going through there's this weird like psychological thing i think it helps it makes people isolate themselves when they go through trauma because they think like there's something wrong with me. That's why this happened to me. Mm. And like, people are going to reject me. People are going to hate me. People are going to be triggered by my experience. Therefore, like I just can't let anyone into it. Um, and that's just like fundamentally not true. People care about you and you let them in. Their response should be to embrace you, to love you, to like, see you where you are and accept you no matter how messy it is. I mean, like we all need people like that in our lives and, you know, maybe some of us don't really know who those people are, but I'd be hard pressed to believe that we don't have at least one person who fits that. Yeah. So I yeah, would agree. Sean, thank you for your vulnerability. That was great. Like, yeah. Real. Um, uh, I'm going to say one admiration, like you were talking about how your dad was constantly trying to serve others throughout the whole process, even during it, like freaking. for me, that's like textbook strong man in that situation where he's like, you even said at one point, you're like, my mom was freaking out. My sister was freaking out. And you're like, I just didn't know how to process it. And then like your dad in the situation was stoic. It was, yeah. Like, he just knew that even though this situation technically like literally was worst case scenario for him. He was like, I can't be scared in this. He's like, I can't be a deer in headlights. Yeah. He's like, this is something I have to stay composed to because if I don't, nobody's composed. And I'm like, that's just so admirable to be like, yeah. this is, this is beyond like, this isn't even about me is even crazy to say in that situation, but that's how he took it. So. Yeah. Super, I mean, I think that's super admirable. My gosh. Yeah. I think that's just like, the only way that I could explain that, and I'm sure if he was here, the way he would explain it was like his faith in God to know that like this life isn't all there is. Mm. And that's not to say that he didn't want more time. Like that's what he 
he told me he was praying for more time. He was asking for more time. And then when it was clear that there wasn't much time, I remember him saying, like, I don't feel like I've been gypped. I've had a really good life. I'm really happy with my life, really happy with my family. I'm really proud of my kids. And like, I feel like I've been kind of blindsided because I haven't had much time to process this, but I'm not mad at God. Mm. Like I'm not in control. And I think, you know, it's taken me several years to even get to the point where I don't like resent, you know, what I like, what I believe about God. Like I don't resent him for what happened, even though if what I believe is true, then like he could have, save my dad or done something differently or like any of those things. But at the end of the day, like it's coming for all of us. Mm. You know what I mean? We don't have control over it. That's the one thing that people will never be able to understand or, you know, reverse. Like at the end of the day, I'm going to have my last decade. Right. And the question is not like if that's going to happen, when it's going to happen and when it happens, can I, like my dad say, like, I'm really happy with my life. Like, I'm really happy with the people that I knew and I loved and the decisions that I made. And, you know, the net good outweighs the net bad of all of it. That's crazy. But, yeah, I mean, there's so much more there. I could talk about it for a long time. But I think kind of like for now, my closing thought, and like I'm sure now that the – Pandora's box has been opened. We'll talk about this in my experience in other episodes in relation to trauma and ultra running and dealing with loss. But like, um, I think kind of the way that I want to wrap up the, the story today and just like the message is like, no matter how bad you feel like your life is or how rough things are, it's not probably going to stay that way forever. Um, and that's not to say that they don't last. Those feelings don't last because they still like every Christmas, every January. Like the reason we're doing this podcast is because the anniversary of his death is on January 9th, which is a week from now. And, you know, all of those dates bring it back up. And like, I still am angry. I'm still sad. I'm still disappointed. Mostly now I just miss him, you know. I just wish that he was involved more tangibly in my life, but you know, I'm not letting what happened to me or my family take my hope away. Cause I think initially kind of just lost a lot of hope for like life in those first few months and years. And like, I think going through the worst possible thing that I could imagine. And then, you know, I don't even know if I'm on the other side of it. I don't really know if that is actually a thing, <laughs> mm. but you know, it can be say like you go through and come out the other side. Like, I don't know. I'm not here to say, I know if that's actually happened to me or if it will, but I am here to say like the hope that I have in seeing my dad again and like knowing that there's more to life than running or money or food or, you know, the American economy being strong. Um, like, the reason like the hope that I have, like my dad inspires a lot of that because he took what he had and he used it well. And it wasn't as long as he wanted to have, 
Like he wanted, you know, should have had 20 more years. Right. But like, I think I kind of take that experience. And I think like, I just don't want my last conversation with my mom to be one where I'm like snappy with her, you know, I don't want my last conversation with Zoe to be like one where we're like bickering about something that doesn't matter at all, you know, or my sister or anyone that I care about. So I want to go into every situation just with an insane amount of gratitude because you just, you're not entitled to anything. I think that's what hurts so bad. Like initially is like, I felt like I was entitled to more time with my dad or entitled to a more normal life where I'm not that kid who lost a parent and like is marred forever. Like, I'm just not entitled to that, you know? Mm. And I think we walk around acting like we're entitled to all these things. Like we're not even entitled to health necessarily. You have to fight for it every single day. And not a promise, not a guarantee. Nobody owes you that, you know? And if you go through life acting like they do, then you're really going to be disappointed like all of the time. (laughs) So I think like letting go of that was essential to just being able to enjoy the things that I do have. And, And honestly, just not really caring. Like if people think I'm, you know, like marred or scarred or whatever. And I like, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. Like I really wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy, but at the end of the day, you know, there's not much I can do about how I responded in the moment or in the moments in the months afterwards, but I do have a choice on how I conduct myself today what I do now so that's kind of a long-winded way to say you know like I'm not finished processing it and I'm not necessarily even okay with it but I am more okay now than I was three years ago even two years ago and because I can't change what happened the best thing that I can do is be super honest with myself and with people I love about how I feel and just like, you know, sharing that story openly. I think, I hope that this can help, you know, someone listening who might be experiencing something similar or seeing somebody else experience something like this. So, Amen to that. I'm not even going to try to close off of that. That was perfect. <laughs> the tough day. A tough day. But you know what happens when there's a tough day, Sean? What? You get going, dude. You get going. You get freaking going. Do something. Yeah. Do That's something. Awesome. We love you guys. Love Thank you, you guys. for We love you, Sean. Giving me the Thanks for letting me get messy and personal and Yeah. Well, thanks for I letting us all of you. Listen and I know it will help way more people than we even think of. So, that's amazing. All right, everybody. Have a good one. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.